0: Hello, friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. Alan Turing, Albert Einstein, Sun Tzu. Three guys divided by centuries whose fairly esoteric ideas have come to be recognized as important meditations on the inherent messiness of our universe and our human condition. Fundamentally, we contain chaos. Our organic matter grows and evolves unpredictably. Our bodies, ideas, social movements, and inventions are constantly pushing against known principles and reinventing the rules. That's part of what helps us humans survive, argues Sam Raymond, our chief information security officer and SVP, in conversation with Alex Gunaris, CEO of Polyverse Corporation. Our diversity, complexity, and adaptability as organisms means that an existential threat to one of us isn't necessarily doom for us all. We innovate, adapt, and persevere through a myriad of dangers every day, ones our ancestors couldn't imagine and future generations may not even have to consider. This sounds optimistic, but it's also pragmatic. Sun Tzu would probably tell you that a great way to confuse your enemies is to present them with a moving target. In this latest Cybersecurity by Design episode of Silo Busting, Sam and Alex discuss how these lofty philosophical principles translate to the nuts and bolts of protecting complex systems from cyberattack. It's particularly relevant here in COVID times, as we face down a pandemic that stretches our human ingenuity and adaptability to the breaking point, our digital systems are also under new kinds of stress. Millions of people working remotely, sharing documents and information outside their company's network and firewalls, remote services and cloud-based software supporting an unprecedented volume of users and data, workers maintaining their very human tendency to break rules, find workarounds, and sacrifice security for speed and convenience all while hackers increase their ingenuity, patience, and ability to hide malicious incursions in plain sight. And so our software has to learn some of our very human messiness, how to foil attackers not by anticipating every move, but by behaving with the same organic unpredictability as everything else in the universe. Let's hear Sam and Alex explain how it's done.
1: Good morning, Sam. Great to chat with you again. Hey, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: i, I This is a treat for me, to be frank with you. I've been, I wanted to do this for quite some time already, but uh I was hoping we can actually do it you know, in, in person and record it, but for um, let's do it virtual now on the phone first, and then, and then uh, um, if you have time, I'd love to do a few more with you, actually, about a few more topics that we can double-click on. But maybe before we start, I know you very well, obviously, you and I, we know each other, but maybe tell the audience a little bit about yourself and about your company, if you don't mind.
1: Sure, happy to. Uh, well, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Uh, it's a real pleasure, real pleasure to be here. So my name is Alex Skinneris. I'm the CEO of Polyverse Corporation. Uh, We'll talk about Polyverse in just a second. Uh, Prior to doing Polyverse, I was uh, CTO at AOL. And prior to that, I was CTO at Microsoft Online. And kind of my claim to fame uh, from a professional standpoint is I was Bill Gates' technology advisor for many years uh, while I was at Microsoft. Uh, So I've done a lot of different things over the years. But for the last five years, we've been working on Polyverse. Uh, Polyverse is a cybersecurity company. We focus on what we call zero-trust software. And this is this whole idea of creating resilient software. I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about it. But but if you think about it, can you have software that is inherently secure um, and proactively defends against attacks as opposed to... More traditional security models that are very reactive in nature, where you try to deal with attacks uh, after they've already happened. So with that, I, uh, let me turn it back over to you, to you Sam.
2: No, I, I think just that topic itself, we could go on and talk about for quite some time. And, and I, but I think that the market has been shifting a little bit. You know, you and I, we have to used to describe to people how in many ways that we can just trust the runtime runtime we're designed to protect the runtime, not the applications and and applications were designed most of the time to, to provide features. So, so who's watching out for the application, who's watching out for the container, you know, run uh, executables and so on. So, you know, we've been talking about trust, no network, trust, no runtime, trust, no OS, all that stuff. And now a lot of people talk about zero trust as a, as a theme, if you will. So we were in a different, Conversation the other day, X, and, and we were talking a bit about that at a, at a roundtable discussion. I, I'd love to hear more about it and maybe just to start to you, what, what is Zero Trust?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great, great way to start. So, Zero Trust is this idea of saying, assume the world around you is messy. Uh, and it really gained popularity this year with Zero Trust networking you think about the traditional model of network security, it was around a firewall and a corporate network. You know, prior to this year with the pandemic and lockdowns, you could have that illusion. You could have that illusion of saying, hey, everybody uh, that's working on something is going to show up to to a physical office uh, where I can have a distinct physical network there, and I can surround that physical network with uh, you know, a, a digital firewall, kind of like a castle wall, if you will, and keep everything safe on the inside. And so I remember, you know, most of my early corporate years, you know, once you were logged on to the corporate network, you had access to everything. Yep. But you pretty much had to be in that corporate network. Um, and so all of a sudden in March of, of this year, that whole paradigm uh, was kind of shattered to pieces where you know all of a sudden every corporation had had a substantial portion of the workforce working from home and they were outside of that physical you know corporate office that physical corporate network and so when you have the majority of your sort of you know computing activity happening outside of the firewall that whole concept of for- firewall really didn't make as much sense anymore and so, zero trust networking was was the you know the sort of technological solution to that. That said, look, assume that you can't trust your firewall, and assume that people are going to be important users are going to be outside of the firewall, and assume that that uh, nefarious actors are going to be inside of the firewall, and design a networking system, a networking topology, and a login system and a remote access system. There's a number of different companies in the space from Zscaler to Lumio and so on. But it's all about this idea of saying, don't trust the firewall. Uh, And not surprisingly, you know, we've seen companies offering zero trust uh, networking solutions like Zscaler have had just an absolutely phenomenal uh, rise in growth uh, this year because, you know, the world has woken up and saying, hey, this, this is the right way to approach networking. Yeah, it's, it's uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah.
2: no I was just about to say it's it's interesting' because it's just by habit every everywhere I go to I run nmap and I run Zen map and I looked at what's on the network and how much I could see but but to your point um, those days are you know everybody talks about micro segmentation and, and, and reducing the blast radius for your network and so on but there's still so much being flooded through and it's the it's the lack of understanding of it that that's the scariest part which is no matter how you map it out, Truly, what goes to what segment? It's it's still very hard to see. How how do you see micro segmentation How do you see like you know sassy and and combining some of the clusters and some of the networking? And you know traditionally we old days we just do a VLAN and we call it a day and and you know wish people good luck on it. Now we're talking about a little bit more about you know binding networks together. How how do you see that? Is that effective? Is that just another layer on top of all the security that you should do? but Is that the end all be all? I guess I'm leading your your answer a little bit. Sorry, go ahead,
1: go go ahead and tell me what you really think. No, look, it's another another piece, Sam. Um, and this is where I was going to you know continue on with with sort of the, the extension of zero trust networking. You know, the different micro segmentation technologies and you know binding sub networks together and so forth. You know, it's all about um, you know, reducing that blast radius, uh, and you know, I love your example of how you go look and when you go somewhere, you, you look and see what is going on. Um, I actually did that with uh, just Wireshark myself and a number of big uh, companies and a couple of government agencies. And it really just sometimes blows people's minds of just, you know. What's and the, the fact
2: that you didn't get a phone call, that was the most disturbing thing. That was actually usually yeah. what I set out to. When I run NMAP, I expect that the IT would call me and and usually you don't which means people could scan it and because as you know you know nmap is not 100 percent passive there there's active as well and and so even for that people didn't see that and nobody actually call you up or disable your your port or your mac address that that shows just how little control there is still today sorry
1: just no exactly uh, I'll, I'll give i didn't run nmap i ran Wireshark. i'll give a very real example this was in a in a uh, government agency. I won't say which country or which agency. It was a major agency in a major country. Uh, and I just logged on to their guest network. And by running Wireshark, I was able to tell them all the projects they were working on because they also right. have to use Microsoft SharePoint. And I just watched to see what URLs on SharePoint uh, the employees were going to. And I just looked at the <laughs> file name. So all I needed to know was just the file name. And they had, sure. uh, I can't what the file names were, but, you know, the file name was Secret Project Foo and Secret Project Bar. And <laughs> I'm like, hey, guys, what's this Secret Project Foo? And they, and they just okay. freaked out. because, like, how do you know about that? I'm like, oh, it's right here on the my- left. <laughs> 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 you know. it's, it's right there, your lippy cap. <laughs> right. And then the, the truly scary part was uh, some of the folks were, I showed them where... Um, that information was going to both Microsoft and um, Google because whether you're using Internet Explorer or whether you're using uh, Google Chrome, I showed it, showed it on both. Those URLs were going to the, um, uh, the, uh, the URL cleaning service that both browsers have. Yeah. But both these companies were learning the, all of these secret projects simply because the URLs were being checked. Uh, so they had no idea that they were leaking all this kind of information just through very, very vanilla stuff. Um, Anyway. So, you know, when you do have the the segmentation and so forth, it does uh, help reduce that blast radius because, you know, if the secret projects were on a micro segment that, you know, was not broadcasting widely uh, it would have been harder for me to have seen all that stuff. And so, right. To your question, though, about, like, is this a, you know, is this the be-all, end-all, or is it just a piece, um, you know, I think we can look at the recent solar winds incident, the fire eye incident, and so forth just recently, uh, and, and very uh, conclusively say, no, it's not enough. Um, you really need to be asking the question, zero trust everything. What happens when you can't trust the code that you have, or can't trust that you're up to date on patches, or can't right. trust the patches even coming in correctly, like with solar winds? You know, how do you deal with with all of these um, issues? And that's what I think zero trust uh, everything is about, because you can ask it for your network, you can ask it for your software, you can ask it for your data.
2: Right, and, and you started getting a little bit into that about about privilege access. So, you know, without getting too much into it, but if you read the, the, the walkthrough so far, it's been known about it. Obviously part of that about sunburst was about, um, the, the privilege access and the workaround on it. So mm-hmm. on, on that, how, how do we, how do we get people? So yes, there is a, the lack of trust in a platform. Then there are times when you know there is there is uh, privilege uh, uh, promotion uh, on access on certain in this case even binaries, um, and and people still seem to be just okay with that to some degree and and and
1: said oh, that's fine and so how how how, how do you well, talk to people about okay with unauthorized privilege access uh- exactly. But, but yeah there are a lot of folks that don't take the defenses needed to prevent it
2: yeah that that's exactly that's exactly right is 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 that when you get into that and say there was an exception to it and it seems like people thought that there was yeah you got to give them exception to write the binaries and 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 then shouldn't that you know level of risk also be accompanied by a higher level of, of, of protection and and it leaves it for nothing else. And this is where I'd love to hear more about where Polyverse fits in, in the sense that, it is, I lo- well, I want to hear your thought. I don't want to say that. I, I know you agree because I don't know. But um, entropy is a good friend, right? So any, anytime we could do, we could do changes to, to make it difficult for attackers to not be able to do repeatable work, is always, a, is always a good recipe. Again, I, I don't want to say that's the answer, but that's always a good recipe. Um, sometimes um, when, when well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I want to hear from your perspective. So t- tell us a bit more about, you know, binaries and, and how Polyverse helps a little bit,
1: because I think the two are connected in a yeah, sense I, that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so let me, rather than, let me not start with binaries. Let me start more philosophically. I uh, think I think you were on to a very uh, important point about entropy. So the traditional model of cybersecurity, um, I think it's pretty easy to to see that it doesn't work, right? How can we be you know at the tail end of two thousand and twenty and having done cybersecurity for twenty years now, and we still have a solar winds type incident, right? It's yep. how. You know, and then we had Equifax the year before, and Office of Personnel Personnel Management before that, and Blue Cross before that, and Home Depot and Sony and Target. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Why why do these things keep happening? And the issue is actually one of uh, I would argue it's one of economics. Not really a technology issue. The problem is is this, is the way we're we're framing it and thinking about how we defend right now the software world is very homogenous and so if an attacker is able to create an exploit for anything whether it's microsoft windows solarwinds uh, linux you know you name it they get everything and this is the, this is the tragedy of solarwinds right you know there was there was an exploit uh, and they did it in a very, very clever way, but they were able to get effectively all of the SolarWinds customers because all of those SolarWind instances were vulnerable to that takeover, you know, that corrupted uh, DLL. And so that sort of break once, run everywhere paradigm is the fundamental challenge because we know, uh, Alan Turing proved this mathematically if anybody really wants the math, but we know for sure Every system is going to have bugs, uh, so therefore, there's going to be ways for people to exploit them. So think about uh, any any uh, spy movie or bank robbery movie you might have seen. Uh, you know how the bank robbers are, are just really study that bank. You know what are the what are the guard rotation patterns? What's the combination to the to the vault? And they study, 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 and they find that weak way in. I uh, mean, that's exactly the way that attackers are working. You know, they're going in and saying, oh, are you running Linux or Windows? Oh, you're running Windows. Okay, great. Are you up to date on patches or not? Oh, no, you're missing this patch. Okay, good. Now I know how to exploit you. Right? They're just sort of running this game with 20 questions to figure out, you know, what you have and what your weak spot is. But if you're constantly mixing it up, you know, it's like constantly changing the guard rotation, constantly changing the... The uh, combination to the vault, constantly changing, even where the money is. Um, if you have that kind of, you know, keep things moving, uh, it's very, very it's a lot more difficult to attack. Um, and if you want maybe this the simple analogy, think of dodgeball as a kid. I mean, you know, where you have the ball and and uh you know you got two teams and there's a ball and you throw it, and if you get hit by the ball, you're out. Well, if you're, if you're standing still, <laughs> you're dead. You're gonna you're gonna get knocked out of the game. The only way to win dodgeball is to move around. Uh, so same thing happens with cybersecurity. If we flip this model, and instead of a break once, run everywhere, and have a break once, run once, uh, and, and by keeping everything dynamic, um, you can really change the economics of these software, of these you know, cyber attacks, and make it extraordinarily difficult for, for people to attack. So i like that. I liked it a lot
2: yeah i i even got a crazy example for you i i know this, this is gonna make you laugh but i was i was speaking at the uh, vienna university at one point this is probably ten years ago and um we were talking about um about uh, integrity basically data integrity at that point but so, I start to talk by asking the audience. I said, "Do you know why you and I were different?" And okay. everybody started to look at me as like, "You know, what are you talking about, Sam? I kind of got that crazy because I am crazy, but they said, "You know do you know why you and I were different? or skin color different, the way I look different, and we talk different so?" and they they you know, a couple of them kind of like looked at me and froze a little bit. I think they know what I was trying to get to, but and then I said, "Because we have to be." Otherwise, something could come in and wipe us all out. It's, it's nature's way, in my opinion, of making sure that uh, a, a single point of failure does not easily just wipe us all out. So we have to be different. And, and just to your point, I, 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 I agree with you. I think there is a lot to be said about that. So um, it, it, do, you see, do you see challenges on, let's say, it, as we move towards a system like that? um the obvious question i hear from from developers is that you know what about repeatability uh because computer science we rely a lot on repeatability for you know uh, load testing for you know fixing code and stuff like that how, how do those two come together and is there something that would allow them to come together or is just
1: yeah they absolutely do come together that's a that's a great question Uh, maybe to, to answer repeatability, let me frame it up a little bit. So if you, if you accept this premise that we need to mix things up, you know, keep, keep everything moving and dynamic and create a lot of entropy in the system as a whole, then you get to this question now, now precisely how do I do it? Well, with passwords, you can do it, uh, very easily with like the two multi factor authentication technologies. So there's a, you know, a new password every time. You know, that. Essentially a zero trust authentication type mechanism uh, where you're constantly changing uh, the password and you're not trusting that the password is, uh, you know, not stolen Uh, or rather you're just assuming a password can be stolen. So you keep it, keep it moving. You can do the same thing with binaries and script engines. And this is what Polyverse offers we have a very transparent way that's completely fire and forget where we change around all the binaries in your, in your full Linux stack. We cover everything from the bootloader to the kernel to the libraries like Java all the way up to your application. So it's kind of a full stack, uh, full stack DevSecOps, if you will. Uh, and so we change around all the binaries. We also change around the script engines um, as well. So we cover the memory attacks and cover script injection attacks and so forth. The neat thing is that you can do this in a way, and we do this in a way, where it changes nothing about semantics, nothing about, um, you know, the runtime performance or how you operate or deploy any of these technologies. And the the aha insight, and this gets to answering your question about how do you have this entropy but still have the... Uh, have the uh, you know, diverse the the uh, uh, the predictability is actually the layering that we see in today's software. Uh, for anybody listening in on the call, if you're a software engineer writing in JavaScript or Java or something like that, uh, when's the last time you worried about um, what piece of data was in which CPU register? Now, was it EAX, EBX, ECX? Hmm. Probably not. If you're writing in Java, you tend not to deal with registers. Mm-hmm. Uh and even if you are writing in assembly, you're writing writing to registers. Uh it turns out registers aren't a fixed thing anymore. Uh in the old days with the old-fashioned chips, yeah, register actually corresponded to a to literally a specific set of atoms on a right. CPU chip. Uh these days it doesn't. Register is actually a virtual concept in the hardware But, you know, as software engineers, we get to have this illusion that, uh, you know, a register is a physical thing, even though it really isn't anymore. And so the layering between, you know, the microcode on the CPU to the, the, you know, assembly binary level interface of the CPU to, uh, you know, the the, virtual machine runtime of the OS to the virtual runtime of you know Java or JavaScript or Ruby or what have you, you know each of those layers sort of create an ap- a semantic abstraction uh, that lets you not worry about what's you know what's down below. Um, and the only time you really worry about what's below is when you're doing an attack, right? Uh, you know the actual uh, memory exploit involved in Sunburst. It really cared what data was in which register. Let me leave it at that right. for now. Uh, until more stuff is published. But, you know, uh, those memory exploits really do care. So if you're the attacker, you want the predictability, but if you're the defender, you don't want the predictability. Did that kind of answer a little bit there, Sam? Because it's, it's a very tough problem of, of uh, you know, um, having the right layers and defending at the right spot.
2: You, you you just gave me a idea. Maybe that's what you've been trying to tell me for the last few years. I don't know. I just I'm slow that way. I apologize. But I think I it's think okay, repeatability repeatability is actually it's actually very relative. Sorry? It's okay, Sam. We still respect you. <laughs> <laughs> but but repeatability is actually very relative. Almost exactly what Einstein said, which is it, it depends on it depends on the observer in this case, which is as you said. Maybe it's the, in your case about JavaScript, is Spider Monkey or Rhino? That's the repeatability level that you should look at. If you're actually doing assembly, it's the register, what is virtual or directly tied to, you know, a space. That's the port. The, I, I was just thinking that are, are the ports still tied to pins anymore? Maybe they're not. So I, I see what you mean. So that's very interesting. That, that's, that's, um, yeah,
1: so it, how can it, we actually the, make the sure that? of the semantics?
2: Exactly. Right? exactly eh, very interesting um i i we could go on and on in fact i got a couple more topics i would love to hear because i we're starting to see attackers using entropy or we, they've always used it for like you know things like sock puppet and stuff like that it just popped up they distract you and anywhere from you know doing a ddos on one side to distract you on the other side and so so that's not new but we're we're i'm, I'm seeing i can't name where but I'm seeing a number of attacks where they're actually starting to attack things like UEBA. So they just generate noise for it. Um, any kind of instrumentation, based, they generate noise to distract the model. So maybe at another point in time, you and I could get together again and talk about that as well. And maybe a few other topics. I would, I would love to have you on again if that's possible. Yeah, we would love to.
1: Uh, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe in, in, uh, as uh, a reading assignment for uh, any listener here, um, a lot of what we would talk about in that case is not new. Just go get Sun Tzu, The Art of War. This book is, what, 2,000 years old? I'm going off, off memory. I have it right here on my shelf. Yeah, <laughs> no, so do I. <laughs> uh, so my apologies for, for getting the age of the book maybe a little bit wrong, but it's it's a really, really old book. Uh, but in a sense, there's, there's nothing new here, right, in that the cyber attackers are deploying or rather employing the same, uh, you know, warfare techniques that Sun Tzu wrote about, you know, it's all about distraction and diversion and, and so on. And, and I guarantee one of the things we're going to see with SolarWinds, um, you know, there's the immediate takeover of SolarWinds, which has, you know, a set of issues. Um, but we do know that the, that the attacker is very sophisticated so, I guarantee that it's not just solar winds that, uh, or any system solar wind was installed on, that's that's now impacted. These folks did lateral movement and they infected other other computers in the in the victims' networks. Yeah. So, how many of these other ones are are there? And if you go looking for it, I guarantee there is going to be easy to find stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. There is going to be the sacrificial backdoor that the attackers put in so that all the defenders can look at it and say, oh, hey, boss, we, we got rid of all the back doors. We found 10 back doors. No, 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 you found the 10 that they wanted you to find. Yeah. What you really got to worry about is the 20 that you
2: didn't find. Yeah, and they're much more patient. Even even the target one you mentioned, that was 18 months of dormant um, persistent code. So
1: exactly. they're, they're much so, more patient yeah. than we expected. Yeah, Just like the military and Sun Tzu talks about using decoys, uh, you know, cyber attackers use decoys all the time. Uh, And it works. You know, it it fooled World War II Germany with the the decoys up uh, for the Calais invasion. Um, You know, it it fooled in uh, Confucian times and it's going to and it fools today in 2020
2: yeah i know i i i agree i agree I, we're, we're not we're running a little bit out of time unfortunately right. so maybe maybe we we can um pause here for a little bit uh i take it as a yes you're, you're willing to come on again and and continue on the discussion looking forward to it but as always alex love talking to you and uh next time hopefully we could do it
1: in person i'll buy you a cup of coffee that'd be brilliant looking forward to it sam
0: this has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business experience and technology consult... Ugh, let me just do that again. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business experience and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sam Raymond and Alex Ganares for their great conversation. Cheers to Kip Palalas, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coten, and I'm off to dodge and weave my way to victory.